0: Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message.
1: Well good morning. morning. This morning we have a treat. Uh, We have uh, some missionaries that are joining us this morning and they're going to just take a few minutes at the beginning of the service here and share with you but um, Nathan and Tessa Lawson are part of the Pemberton clan that is with Hippo Valley Christian Mission out of Zimbabwe. And their family is actually on furlough this summer at Ozark Christian College in um, Joplin, Missouri. And they're the missionaries kind of on staff this summer and they get to share about Hippo Valley each week and and talk to the people that come through that school. And so they're gonna just share a little about uh, what they're doing and and what Hippo Valley's all about. And then they'll have a a little table out in the foyer if you wanna talk to them afterwards. I failed to mention in first service, but uh, Tess's brother, Mark, Pemberton will actually be an intern here this summer working with Ryan and the youth group and we're excited about that because we're going to be exposed a lot more to Hippo Valley this year than we've ever been exposed to and um, it's just going to be neat to to kind of be more of a partner with them and really understand what they're doing and and hopefully be able to help them more in the future so right now I'm going to let uh, Nathan and Tessa and the whole clan of little kids.
2: <laughs> Good morning. Well, I have uh, a little girl here who is very keen to sing a special for you from the, a song that we sing a lot in Shredzi Church of Christ on that side of the water. So let me first introduce the Lawson group. My name is Nathan, as Tracy said, and this is Tessa. And then Isabel, why don't you introduce yourself?
3: Uh, my name is Isabel, and um, I'm four.
2: Okay,
3: and? I would hold it. I'm Noah. Okay.
2: Three. Um, and then I'm holding Samuel, and then this is Jonah. And so that's the, the Lawson crew. And we are going to sing a song for you that translated, it's, There is no one, there's no one like Jesus. Hakuna wa kaita sa jesu. I could run everywhere, I could turn around everywhere, I could search everywhere, but there's no one, there's no one like him. So turn around and face forward.
3: Akuna wa gaichasa Oh, akuna wa gaichasa akuna wa gaichasa akuna wa gaichasa akuna wa gaichasa Aku, akuna Ta manya, manya Goose, goose Ta Goose, goose
2: we're very excited to be here this morning. Um, and there is no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. That The truth is you could search a lot of different places in life, um, but there would never be anyone like him. So imagine for just a moment that you were going to go over this summer for the next three years and spend it in Zimbabwe. And by current regulations, you get one 50-pound suitcase. One pounds suitcase. Now, you can get some supplies over there, to be sure. So you've got to determine, what would you take from here to there? What is of most important? Why don't you turn to the person sitting on your right or your left and say, what would you take in a 50-pound suitcase to sustain you for three years in Africa. Now, I remember asking that question when I was first going over in 2006. What, I mean, we like a lot of things, but when it comes down to brass tacks, I mean, when you're in those last 50 pounds and you're laying it out on your bed, what is of most importance? And I think many of us realize in our life, we ask that question, yeah, it would be nice if we had an infinite amount of time and an infinite amount of money, but we don't. So how are we going to spend those limited resources that we have i had one guy come over his name was brent and he was coming over and i remember carrying his suitcase which was small but disproportionately heavy When we got down to cherezi i opened it up and it was full only of bibles and i said brent there's a lack of sanitation products in here um you know for the sake of the rest of us and he said "No, no no i'll use the local soap and i'm like brent that stuff can strip paint i'm not sure if that's a good idea um, and, uh, and I said, Brent, you know, there's not a lot of clothing in here. <clears throat> and he said, no, 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 I've got an extra pair in my carry-on. I'll just wash whatever I'm not wearing. I said, Brent, that's pretty extreme. He said, I, but I would have hate to have met someone and not been able to give them the gift of God's word. If people were to look in your 50-pound suitcase at the places in your life when you spend those, those limited resources that they have, what would they say about you is your highest priority? Well, we're here this morning because many of you and your church family have shared with the work of Hippo Valley Christian Mission, and it's accomplished some incredible things. There are 27 schools with about 15,000 students in attendance. We have about 14 ministers uh, still on staff and a number of others who've since gone independent. Um, A couple of clinics and two orphanages. A lot of different work. I mostly work with the high school outreach ministry. I train some musicians and we go out. I'm not musical at all. But then again, they don't have a lot to compare it to, so by standards, you know, um, we just pick up guys, and we train them and take them out, and when they get not so terrible, we turn the volume on, and, uh, and we go out and we lead outreach for high school kids preaching and sharing testimonies with other high school kids. Um, we were at one just recently in Dene, we were doing a high school outreach there, and the elders were very excited because we were restarting a church that had long since died in about 2004 as the country headed downhill. And so we're very excited to get it restarted. And they were very keen to have baptisms take place in the church building. And as we're starting to fill the baptistry to get that ready, water is just spewing out of the back of the building. And the elders sitting around with the deacons, and like all men, they look at this and they say, that's not a problem. No, we can fix that. That's not a problem. What we'll do is this. We will fill up trash cans of water. And right after the invitation time, after everything's been said and done, we'll dump it in. Then you take the people who need to make decisions. You baptize them quick, just Father, Son, and Spirit under the water. By the time the water leaks out, it'll all be said and done. Um, That sounded like a decent plan to me. And so the first night, we had a few people come forward, but we were going to save the baptisms for the last night. Well, on the last night, we had 18 people standing there. The deacons are scratching their head going, that's quite a few people. Pastor, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. We'll put two pastors in the baptistry, right? We'll double time it. And so me and Reno Pisa will be in there. No sermons, no long illustrations, just their name, Father, Son, Spirit, under the water. Next one. And so we have lined up all the kids, and they start dumping in the water, and we are baptizing um, as quickly as humanly possible. The only time I've done baptism is a competitive sport. And what it reminded me of is this, as the water's leaking out of the baptistry, is just how limited the time that we have is. That as it's running out, we won't get those moments back, those opportunities back, those relationships where we can make an influence for God. That as one Christian writer said, we will have eternity to sing God's praises, but only until sundown to save them. That there's just a limited amount of time that we have. And because of that, we take a portion of our resources like you have, and we advance God's kingdoms in places in the world where otherwise it would take a long time or might not not be evangelized at all. So we want to thank you for your support. Because even though um, their resources are limited, because of the investment that's been made here, the kingdom of God has been preached for the last um, many years in Zimbabwe. We were at Rushangarumwe, our most recently built school. And we did a vacation Bible school, and we gave kids these glow rings that they put on their head and, uh, as they exited in the evening, and they were so excited that they had these glow-in-the-dark things, and so hundreds of kids are walking out of this church building after a sermon on, you are the light of the world, and all these kids are running home, some of them smacking each other uh, with the glow stick. Kids are pretty similar around the world. But even if we had this great successful thing and all these kids got to hear this great message, as their lights went into all the surrounding valleys, it helped illustrate only more clearly that there were communities yet to be reached. That for all of our successes, it only sharpens our vision for how much farther God wants to take us. On the last night of that revival in Dine, we're getting those 18 kids baptized and one kid seeing this is just full of anxiety and rushes up and says, is there still time for me? And I looked at his side. He wasn't too prosperous. So I decided, yes, there's still time. Go quick. And so he rushes back there and changes clothes and runs into the baptistry. We get him covered with water, only just. And it reminded me, and I used it as the closing prayer for that revival, there is still time. As long as you can hear this sermon, as long as you're here this morning, there is still time. When it comes down to the final resources of your week, you've already chosen to set aside a portion of your morning to come and fellowship with this body, to fellowship in uh, small group programs, and hopefully to give a portion um, back to the ministry that exists here. So this morning, as I close, I just wanted to come and say thank you on behalf of Hippo Valley Christian Mission as uh, as Brent comes forward.
0: Let's just take a moment to pray over this beautiful family. Has your heart been stolen yet? (laughs) Absolutely, let's pray together. God, I give you thanks for the passion that exists in this family and has for a long time for the, the country uh, of Africa, um, the continent. I mean, the, their their heart is so full for Zimbabwe specifically, but um, Lord, it's the same wherever we go. People who know you are passionate about seeing people one to Christ. And I, I know even as uh, Nathan has told the story this morning that Uh, 18 even 19 came to give their life to christ in this room that fills our hearts because we're about that same thing wherever we go we want people to know who you are i pray father that you would have your hand on this family that they would be able to do all the things that you're calling them to do and father we know that if you call them they'll be able to do it Uh, you will resource them you will uh, provide the safe travel necessary you will everything will happen in your time and in your way and we're in faith we recognize that I guess, Father, what I'm doing is I'm just giving you thanks for a family that's willing to respond to your call. Bless them now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. All right. Turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 5 and that's where we'll start and you got a few minutes to find that if you're wondering where is Esther 5 it's between Nehemiah and Job go to Job and go back a book and while you're doing that let me start the, the message this morning by just stating the obvious we live in a stuck town stuck what do I mean by that I mean if you've spent Three days in this town you 've been railroaded somewhere right you, i mean if you're if 're a Hoshan you, your life is marked by by waiting, waiting, waiting for a train, and it amazes me how many of them aren 't moving. just amazes me you know i 've been in other parts of the country where trains pass by, and I know they aren 't going that fast, but they seem to be going seventy or eighty miles an hour compared to the speeds they seem to go through Terre Haute. I don't know if, if the, you know if we're just so beautiful they want to stop and look at us or what the deal is, but it <clears throat> seems like it takes trains a long time. And it's very frustrating. How many times have you been on your way somewhere, needed to get there in a hurry, and you didn't get railroaded once? You got railroaded a couple of times. Has this happened to you where you've been between two trains and you couldn't go either way? It's nuts, man. I've never seen another town like, like Terre Haute in that regard. But I love it, and um, we love Terre Haute. My friend calls Terre Haute the garden spot of the Midwest. So uh, so that's one thing that can happen to you. Uh, maybe you've had this experience. I had this the other day. I'm waiting in line at the bank, and if you work at a bank, I fully understand that sometimes things can happen. and can slow you down. But when you're the person in line, it can seem like it takes forever. And I, that happened to me uh, the other day. I'm waiting in line to go through the bank drive-through, and I'm like, man, I think, I think they're playing a game of chess up there or, you know, she's she's being robbed or something. I mean, maybe I should intervene, but it just seemed like it was taking forever. Or, you ever go to the grocery store or to the supermarket and you scan all the checkout lines and you try to figure out which one's moving the fastest, right? And that's the one you're going to get in and inevitably when you get into that line and then people get behind you and you're stuck... And you, you're, you're now you're scanning to see if if aisle seven and aisle three are moving faster than you because it feels like they are. And if they are, now you're really upset because you picked the wrong one. Does that happen to anybody but me? You just get stuck. There's times in your, in your existence when you just get stuck. And that happens to us spiritually as well. There are just times that, spiritually speaking, we aren't growing. Things just aren't moving the way we want them to move. And uh, I think sometimes we get left wondering why. Now, we don't like to admit it, but it's true, and we may try to mask it, but in reality, sometimes there are times in our life when we would say, you know what, I can't remember the last time I really heard God speak in my name. I talked about that last week, you know, when God speaks your name. Sometimes I can't remember when, when, when God spoke my name last. I can't remember the last time that God said, hey, I want you to do this, and I actually did it, and it was scary. And, and I, in faith, I took a step, and, and, you know, amazing things happened. Maybe if you're totally honest with yourself, you would say this morning, you know what, it's been a long time for me since anything like that happened. And if you were really, really honest, you would say, yeah, Brad, as you talk about being stuck spiritually, that's me. That's me. I'm, I'm kind of stuck spiritually. Um, one of the things that we do in church is that we confuse activity for God with walking with him we we uh we confuse activity and intimacy we assume that if we're busy for God then we're intimate with God and that's not necessarily the case I can be really active and not accomplish anything Um, it it would be would be kind of like the guy who decided that he was you know gonna get in his car and go find a cul-de-sac and just drive in a circle on the cul-de-sac And at the end of the day, he goes home, and his wife says, "You know, did you put a lot of miles on the car today?" And he says, "Yeah, I put a lot of miles on the car today." And she said, "Where did you go?" He said, "Well, I went to this cul-de-sac and just drove around in circles." You know, I think at that point she would go, "Are you stupid? You know, what's what's wrong with you? Um, That's not going anywhere. That's just going in a circle." And yet, sometimes I think in our spiritual life, that's kind of what we would say. You know, I just kind of got in the car and I, I went in a circle. I don't know that I've grown a whole lot. I've spent an awful lot of time in church. I've spent an awful lot of time, you know, trying to look busy, but I don't know that I've actually gotten on a road somewhere and actually gone down the road to achieve something. So it's not easy. We confuse activity for intimacy, and I think we do it quite often. And so the reality is there are probably people in the room this morning who who would say, yeah, that's true of me. That's true of me. I, I, I look busy. But in reality, really, all I'm doing is driving around the cul-de-sac. I'm hoping that today maybe you're ready to take your car out on the freeway. You know, you're ready to go uh, really put some decent miles on. Uh, Here's what I think this morning. I think that God has more in store for you and me than we could ever think or imagine. I think there's way more. For everybody in the room, God has more for you than you could ever think or imagine. God God does not just want you to exist. He wants you to live. And in John chapter 10... That you don't need to turn there, but there's this, there's this great little phrase in the, in the book of John, John chapter 10, verse 10, where he talks about, I want you to, Jesus says, I want you to have life, and I want you to have it abundantly. And I think for a lot of people, it's just more of an existence than it is an abundant life. And I, I could tell you from past experience, you could spend an awful lot of time talking. It would be a good conversation over dinner sometime. Have a conversation with somebody over, what does it mean to have abundant life? Um, that's what God wants us to have. The potential in this room to do huge things for God is mind-boggling. I think that the things that God could accomplish with us if we would do what we're going to talk about today would be awesome. But it starts with us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says this. This is kind of where I want to launch us today. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him just as you receive christ jesus as lord continue to live in him because one of the the things that we think many times is that coming to jesus is the end you know i i I love it that so many of us come to christ here but and it's it it, i think it's a blessing not only to my heart but to yours i I watch you when you see baptism videos you know I, i watch you i know how much it means to you to see that and i know how much it's meant to you some of you to come to christ but I said it the other day, while we make a big deal of it being okay to come as you are, it's not okay to stay as you are. There's there's this transforming thing that God wants to do in each of our lives and it's not just enough to just come and say, "Hey, I'm going to give my life to Christ and 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 you know, God what you see is what you get." It's our goal that everybody in the room this morning is moving beyond that point. I mean, if there are people that knew you 5 years ago, Let's say you got let's say you got baptized 5 years ago. My hope would be that people who knew you 5 years ago and then see you today would be able to say of your life, you've changed. You've been transformed. You're not the same person you used to be. You think differently than you used to think. Things things are a lot different in your world. God wants to take you to a place of transformation, a place that maybe you weren't 2 or 3 or 5 years ago. You know, really it's easy to describe the goal of being a Christian, but it's very difficult in reality to do. I can tell you what the goal of Christianity is. Doing it day in and day out is a whole different deal. The goal is to stay in step with Jesus, to follow Jesus step for step for step. That's the goal. And that rolls off the tongue, and that sounds easy to say, but the reality of waking up every day of your life and saying, "I'm gonna," when Jesus takes a step, I'm going to take a step. That's an entirely different deal. I heard it described this week uh, as railroad tracks. You know, you, railroad tracks always go the same. And so, if if Jesus is one rail of the track, you're the other rail of the track. You always do what Jesus does. That's a very easy thing to say. It's a great illustration, but it doesn't. It's it's not an easy thing to wake up and do every single day. So, I want to give you. Um, Uh, Something that you can write down just to kind of hang on to and live life through The reality is and I'll, i'll tell you that in just a minute the reality is To be able to do what I just talked about requires a dying to self I tell people when we baptize them listen You never physically look more like jesus than the day of your baptism. You're you're dying to yourself And then what do you do with a dead person you bury a dead person and then like jesus those those of us who are believers We are raised to walk in the newness of life But that dying to self, that first step of, God, I'm not going to live my life for me anymore. I'm going to live it for you. Very difficult for us. So here's the thing I want you to write down. In order to be in step with God, I've got to be willing to take the next step. In order to be in step with God, I've got to be willing to take the next step. Let's do a quick review of last week, this story, the story of Esther. If you aren't in the habit of reading your Bible, I hope that this story will at least prod you to consider reading your Bible more because this is a great story. This is a fun story. I said last week Hollywood couldn't have done it any better, and they really couldn't. And it's it would be very cool to watch Hollywood make this movie. Um, in, in, in Esther chapter one, we meet a guy named Xerxes, he's the king, and he throws a six-month party. Um so on the heels of his six-month party, he turns right around and he throws another party that lasts a week and that party got a little crazy so what we know about xerxes is he's probably a little unstable he's kind of a party guy he likes to have people around he he you're going to see later he really likes wine that becomes a theme in the whole bible in the whole story he likes wine And and he gets um we would use the vernacular in this day and age xerxes gets wasted okay when i say you understand that what i'm talking about now i know nobody in here's ever been that before you came to jesus but because I know you, but Xerxes gets wasted. I know you just have read about it, right? You've not actually done that. Just move on, Brett. <laughs> and as we said last week, drunk people never make good decisions, right? I mean, it's just uh I don't know anybody that was ever drunk, and they you know um, went out and did crazy things. I've heard lots of stories about people who got drunk and went and did stuff, and they regretted it later. Um, don't know too many people that made really good decisions when they were drunk, and so Xerxes gets wasted, and this is what one of his drunk decisions. He said, "You know, I want Queen Vashti, my wife. I want her to come out um, and walk before all my friends at this party wearing her crown." Which sounds great until you realize, really, what he meant was he wanted her to walk in her crown and not a whole lot else. And so, you know, Queen Vashti, um, you might imagine, didn't think that was a great idea, and she said, "No, not going to do that." And she declined. And so Xerxes says, you're banned. You're banned. You're a bad person. You can't be in my presence anymore, to which I expect Vashti said, okay, (laughs) that's fine. Um, Don't like your parties anyway. So in chapter 2, Xerxes sets out to replace Queen Vashti. So the way they're going to do that is there are 127 provinces um, in the in the region that he oversees, and and uh, out of these 127 provinces, they go find 127 virgins, and they're basically going to see which one of these they're going to have a contest, and they're going to see which one stands out to become the next queen to be the queen for King Xerxes. And so there was this girl, and she was uh, from Israel. Her name was Esther. She was Jewish, and her family had just really had a rough way to go. She, they'd been captured. Uh, it's it's highly possible that Um, uh, Esther had watched her many of her family uh, murdered and and martyred it's possible that she watched um, her parents uh, murdered before her eyes Um, things just had not gone real well for for Esther and she had been raised by her older cousin his name was Mordecai he's pretty he figures pretty prominently in this story Mordecai is her cousin and um, the deck has kind of been stacked against her she you know she she but she wins this contest She wins this contest. She's going to be the next queen, and um, she wins the heart of the king. And at the end of chapter 2, we see that Esther is promoted to a prominent position in the palace right next to the king. So in chapter 3, there's this guy named Haman, all right? Haman. Now, Haman just doesn't even sound like a good guy, right? Haman just sounds evil. I mean, None of you, when there's nobody in here named Haman. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and even say, probably none of you even your middle name is Haman, right? We just don't name our kids Haman. I mean, we had little Noah and we had Sam and, and Isabella and there was a Jonah was up here. And then they steal your heart? Well, isn't that a tough act to follow? Yeah, how am I going to beat that? I mean, Isabella up here singing for us. But but you know, nobody names their kid Haman. I mean, you didn't. You didn't walk. You don't walk around saying yes. This is. This is my daughter, you know, Faith Hope, and this is my son Haman Lucifer. I mean, you, <laughs> you you didn't name your kid Haman because it just that name doesn't sound like a good name. I mean, it just sounds like a bad guy. So nobody's done that, but Haman was evil. And and the Bible says that Haman hated Mordecai. Okay? So Haman, this guy that that is good friends with the king. Um, hates Mordecai, who is the older cousin of Esther, who is married, is, a, is the queen now and, and is the wife of King Xerxes. He, he, uh, Haman hates Mordecai. And he hated Mordecai so bad that he wanted to see Mordecai dead. Now, Mordecai was Jewish. Not only did Haman want to see Mordecai dead, he wants to see all Jews dead. He just decides, you know, they they all need to go. So uh, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of people that Haman wants to see eradicated. So he goes to Xerxes and he says, listen, I want to kill all these people. Now, Haman was what we used to call in school. I don't know if you guys will recognize, I think you'll recognize this term. I guess it's okay to say this from the stage. We called him a brown noser. Is that, you pitching what I'm catching when I say that, right? You know what that is? Um he he liked to you know get kind of close to the king and and um he he's trying to buddy buddy up with the king and so he goes up to Haman goes up to the king and says listen I want to kill all these people and the king said well Haman if that's what you want to do go ahead so Haman issues an edict that on a certain day all of the Jews in the kingdom are to be killed and murdered uh, because he can't stand one of them because he doesn't like Mordecai so that's the deal and Mordecai's Jewish and he finds out about this and as you might imagine he's a little bit more than upset because he realizes he's going to be on the chopping block and as all of his people are going to be on the chopping chopping block and then it hits him Esther I raised her i mean you know i've got esther and she's in the palace and and i'll say something to her she's close to the king and so esther's got this prominent position she's right there next to the king so he goes to esther to see if she will approach the king and esther instead of embracing the plan that mordecai has and instead of embracing the position in which god has placed her her first response is to say um yeah i'd really love to help you with that but I can't really do that. See, there's a penalty for approaching the king if you haven't been summoned and that penalty is he could kill me. And and you know, that doesn't really fit into my schedule cuz my schedule Mordecai, I'd love to handle this for you but you know, I got a facial at 10, I got I got a mani pedi at noon, I got I got a massage coming at 3. The king hasn't summoned me in over 30 days. I'm pretty sure I'm not really high on the list right now. I haven't been around him for a while. He's probably forgotten about me. And I just can't go walking in there. Well, Mordecai comes back and he says, listen, you think that you were placed in this position because of you. I'm telling you, you weren't placed in this position because of you. You, You've been placed in this position. And we read this famous verse last week where he says, you've been placed in this position for such a time as this. Esther, this is your moment. This is your time. This is is a chance that you've got to do something great for God, and God has put you in this place for this time. And you need to step up, and you need to do something about this. So Esther finally becomes burdened about the same things that are burdening Mordecai and burdening probably God, and, and she realizes, and she says, look, if I don't do something, potential exists for hundreds of thousands of people to die so she looks at Mordecai she says you get your people together and you fast and pray for three days I'm going to get my people together we'll fast and pray for three days and and then we'll walk you know um, at the end of that I'll walk in front of the king and and then she said this if I perish I perish so there's no guarantee I mean she's going to seek the Lord and she's going to try and do this uh, but but she knows that this could this may not end well this this could go really bad. So. Um, This is where we left off the story last week. We pick up, we're going to talk about two things today that I really want us to focus on as we think about taking the next step with God. If you're going to take the next step with God, it takes two things. First of all, you have to, it takes initiation. You have to initiate. Esther prayed, and they sought the Lord for three days. And so in Esther chapter 5, verse 1, and I hope you've got your Bible ready because this is, I'm telling you, you need to read your Bible. This is a great story. You're going to laugh and cry, and it's going to become a part of your life today. It's going to be wonderful. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court. Now, Now, hold on just for a minute because we're tempted at this point to think, well, Esther's doing this, and she probably feels comfortable doing this. But the fact of the matter is, as she took this next step, this probably was not a comfortable step for Esther to take. I mean, it says in, in chapter 4, verse 16, you know, she says, if I perish, I perish. I mean, it's, it's highly possible that I could do this and, and things not go well for me. So for three days they fasted and prayed, and then she sought the Lord, and it becomes time at some point to do something. You know, that's what's going on here. It's time to do something. And so Esther's going to do her thing. She couldn't pray about it anymore. She can't think about it. She can't do a Bible study on it. The time has come for her to act. She had to do something. And so she got dressed, and she walks in front of the king. She puts her queen robe on, and and there's this thing. we 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 can read the whole Bible. We can know what happens, and we can think, well, of course. I mean, it's going to work out great for Esther. Here's the problem. Esther doesn't have the benefit of being able to read the book of Esther. You know, Esther doesn't know this is all going to go okay for her. She doesn't know what's going to happen next. In her world, you know, I take this next step. This could go really, really south on me in a hurry. And so she doesn't know what's going to happen. She just says, you know, this is the next step that God's asking me to take, and I could lose my life, but I've got to take it. So what happens to us, what we do sometimes, see, we're not, sometimes we're not, willing to do what esther does we're not willing to risk it we're not willing to take the next step because the next step could be uncomfortable what we do like to do is we like to say god give me your will and i'll consider it you know tell me what your plan is and let me think about it and i'll get back to you on whether or not i'm i'm down with that or you know god if i do this what is the final result going to be I want to know what the final result's going to be before I take my next step. If you can tell me how this ends on the other side, then, then I'm okay. And see, the, the, the problem with that is that requires absolutely no faith. You're not living by faith if God's laying it all out for you and saying, this, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. There's no faith in that. And if you're telling me that you're bored in your faith, I'm telling you, you're probably not taking enough steps where things are a little uncertain because it's in that place where you go god i don't know about this but i think this is what you're calling me to and and if i think you're in it i'm going to take the next step if you're doing that you're growing as a christian and if you're doing that you're not bored in your faith i know that i know from personal experience that in those times when i'm stepping into something and i don't really know how it's going to end and i don't know how it's all going to turn out those are the most exhilarating times it's happened when we've when we've it happened when I came here, it happened when when I started preaching, it's happened when we've hired staff, people, it's happened with this building, it's happened in lots of things where God has said, "Look, this is your next step." And I go, "Oh, that could end bad." And God says, "No, but it could end really good, too." Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And so, if you really want to follow God, then you have to listen for him to call out the next step, not knowing necessarily what's going to happen next. See, with Esther, there was what we call this holy discontent. First time I ever heard that phrase was Bill Hybels used that at a leadership summit. He talked about having a holy discontent. Is your heart broken by the things that break the heart of God? When you see something that you know God wouldn't be happy with, does it make you unhappy? When you see it and you go, man, God can't be happy about that. Does it it irritate you as well, and are you willing to take the next step? So when you look at the world, and you see something, and you catch yourself saying that, that right there, that's got to change. Who's going to change that? Then God says, how about you? How about you change that? See, that's the next step. It's that initiation thing. Today, I want you to entertain the possibility that the somebody that needs to step up and do that something that you see in your world that needs to be changed, maybe God's calling you to be that person. What is it? What is it that bothers you that is going to matter for eternity? See, the thing is, there are some really great people in the world, some of them very famous and some of them very wealthy. And they're, they've got some causes that they're involved in that that when I look at the cause, I'm like, that's just stupid. That's you ever see that? You ever see somebody with a great platform and great opportunity and great influence and you go, that's what you're fired up about? Come on, man. I mean, you, you got all that wealth. You got you got a platform. And you're involved in that. But you know what? You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be famous to have that said of you. There's probably some things in here that are important to us. And, and the, the fact of the matter is, other people would look at us and go, really? Really? That's the hill you're going to die on? That's the thing that at the end of your life, that's going to be the end all be all thing that you were all about. That marked your life, that? See, it can happen to all of us. The question is are your is your life going to be marked by the things that God says, I want your life to be marked by this. I want you dying on this hill. Esther was bothered. Now let me tell you something about the next step that God wants you to take. It's probably not going to be comfortable. Oftentimes, the step that God calls you to next is not a comfortable step. You know, you take it and you're like, man, this, I don't know. I don't know about this. But Jesus said this Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to take up your cross daily and do that. Now, here's what I'd tell you about that passage of Scripture. In the time of Jesus, if you were walking down the street and you saw somebody carrying a cross, Here's what you knew about that person. They were about to die. You did not see people carrying crosses who had not been condemned to die. Crosses were for people about to die. And Jesus said, look, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And what he's saying is, you've got to die to you. That's what baptism symbolizes. That's, what, that's the whole word picture in baptism, dying to self to live for Christ. Jesus will call you to take the next step, and that next step could be a very uncomfortable step. But Esther was willing to step up and take the next step, not knowing what was on the other side. Verse 1b, let's go back and start over. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court. He was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Now it's at this point that you start to think to yourself, crisis averted. No. Because really, at this point, all we know is, well, he's not going to kill her. That's really all we know. She's got a mission. She's got something she wants to ask the king that could get her in pretty big trouble. Right now, all we know is he's extended the scepter and he's not going to kill her. So that's good news. Verse 3, then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request, even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you? Now, you're thinking to yourself, take the half the kingdom, you know? Take half the kingdom. If he's offering half the kingdom, he's really not offering half the kingdom. This is kind of, uh, this is kind of hyperbole. This is, uh, this is, this is uh, the king basically trying to say, hey, I'm in a good mood. You remember when you were a kid and you sensed that, the, that your parents were in a good mood and it was like, this is the perfect time to ask if I can spend the night with so-and-so. <laughs> or, or, or girls, when you wanted a date, this is the perfect time to ask if I can go out with you know, so-and-so. This is the perfect time to see if dad will buy me that car, right? I mean, so, so that's kind of what the king's saying. This is the, you know, I'm in a good mood. I'm in a giving mood right now. And you'll see that phrase again in a minute verse 4 if it pleases the king replied Esther let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him this said to a man who loves to party okay I I tell you Haman or uh, Xerxes loves to party loves to party well we'll, you'll see that in a minute so so the king's thinking great me and Haman and and Esther are going to have this banquet this party's going to happen verse 5 bring Haman at once he's ready to go so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were, verse 6, as they were drinking wine. It's a common theme with this king. He likes his wine. The king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given you, and what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. In other words, what do you want? Verse 7, Esther replied, my petition and my request is this if the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. And it's at this point that every man in the room is going to understand when I say, guys, you ever had that moment when you know something's not right and you ask the question, what's wrong? And you get the reply, nothing. Right? It's like, come on, please just tell me. Don't make me play this. Don't make me do this. I think that might be where they are. A little different, but you know, they come to this banquet. They're expecting, you know, she's going to do this deal and, and tell what she wants. And they get her to the they he, she gets them to the banquet. And she says, "Come to the banquet tomorrow, and I'll tell you tomorrow." Why didn't she just say, King? Haman's evil he's up to no good I mean he wants to do bad stuff you're messing around with a guy that's he's not a good guy Esther took her next step and then she was willing to take smaller steps she didn't just dive in okay? she, she didn't just the next step was just get the king to the banquet the next step after that get him to another banquet see Christianity is following Jesus one uncomfortable step after another Sometimes the steps are a little scary. Sometimes it's you don't know what's going to be next. Sometimes you're taking these steps and you're like, "Man, God, come on! You got to give me something." It's not always dive in. It's a lot of times it's little step, little step, little step. It's not like the the kid that I heard, the college kid that was going to a church and um, got involved in a small group, and the small group was involved in in um, helping the homeless and feeding the homeless. And he really got charged up about that and decided to just dive in with both feet. He's just all in on feeding the homeless. So he's going down to the grocery store. He's buying all kinds of food. And he's going out and he's giving it to the homeless. And he's, I mean, he's really starting to get, uh, get fired up about this. He comes back to church. He's trying to fire up his church. Come on, we got to feed the homeless. we got to feed the homeless. Well, they did a little checking only to find out that this kid had taken his dad's credit card, was buying all this food on his dad's credit card it's easy to be passionate about something with somebody else's money right i mean you know first step for this guy is hey why don't we get a job that'd be a first great, first great step let's get a job let's make a little bit of our own money let's buy a little food then we can start giving it away but to just dive in take that credit card and do it that's not that's not how you want to do it it's real easy to be passionate with somebody else's money so we're talking about step by step what is god calling you to do Here's what I've seen in my own life. Anytime God is asking me to do something, I can always give Him a hundred reasons why I shouldn't do it. Right? You ever been there? God's calling you to do something, you come up with all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't do it. Can I just suggest to you that um, probably the more reasons you can find, probably the, the better reason that you probably should do what, what God's calling you to do is probably that important. You have to initiate. You have to initiate. When you were in school, did they have these when you were in school? Did they have fights when you were in school? We actually didn't really have fights. We had two guys that would stand around circling one another talking about your mama, right? But but they didn't actually fight. Nobody ever really fought. It 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 was just two guys that just kind of circled, a big crowd of people watching, these two guys walking around acting like tough guys. I think they had the same dad I had who said, don't ever start one, but if one gets started, you finish it which is a great thing to say to your kid unless he was my size. I was 4'11 and weighed 88 pounds in the ninth grade. I wouldn't finish in any fight. I didn't want anything to do with a fight, okay? You know, fight, no. I don't want anything to do with that. But, you know, you watch these two guys circle around and it's like, come on, somebody initiate something. Let's see some action. Quit, quit talking about each other's mama and actually do something. But but that's really, that's really all it came down to in, in my school was people just acting like they were going to it never got initiated you have to initiate be the person God calls you to be that says somebody should do something about that and I'm going to be that somebody I'm going to take that step so the first step is initiate the second step is realization initiation realization realization I know this to be the case we look at situations sometimes and we say to ourselves that situation is beyond control There's no way that that's going to go good. There's no way that can be changed. That situation is just, it's out of control. And we completely forget that there is a much more powerful person in control of the universe than us. And that he has already written the script, and that he rules, and he reigns supreme. And we have to understand that our responsibility in our walk with God is not to dictate to him what we think he should do, but to just take the next step and simply let him be God. He is completely capable of running the universe. Okay? He knows what he's doing. I know sometimes it looks like he doesn't know what he's doing, but he knows what he's doing. I know sometimes it looks like it's out of control, but it's not out of control. God knows what he's doing. If you will take the next step, God will unleash some things in you and around you that you have been praying for for so long. But you will never see those things happen by praying for them you'll never see them just happen if you don't at some point realize you know what God's calling me God's calling me to do something about it and God I'm just gonna do what you said to do I'm just gonna I'm gonna let you be God I'm gonna realize that you're bigger than me that that you're bigger than my fears you're bigger than my frustrations you're bigger than my failures you're bigger than any sin I've ever committed you're bigger And I'm just going to let you be God. The king and Esther and Haman have this luncheon, this first one, this first luncheon. And then in Esther chapter 5 verse 9, it says, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. Sounds good, doesn't it? Evil Haman goes out, he's happy and in high spirits. Now, I told you earlier, you need to read your Bible. And if this story doesn't make you want to read your Bible, I don't know what story would, because this is about to get really funny and really interesting. Are you ready? You ready? So Haman leaves. He's in high spirits. And the second part of verse 9 says, But when he saw Mordecai... Now, here's what you have to understand about Haman. Everywhere Haman went, people responded to him. Everywhere he went, it was like, you know, people would show respect. They would bow. They would... I don't know if they saluted. I don't know what they did, but... Everywhere Haman went, people physically responded to him. It, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, in the, it, when, if you're on a, an army base or something, when the head honcho goes by and everybody's snapping off salutes, that's kind of what it was for Haman. He, he got respect from everybody. But then it says, but when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. And went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. Verse 12. And that's not all, Haman added. I am the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. Tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. In other words, I am so great and awesome. I've got power, I've got money, I've got great family, I've got good kids, but none of this does me any good as long as that Jew Mordecai is still alive. He was so obsessed with the things that he wanted that he didn't have that he couldn't really enjoy the things that he could verse 14 His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him Have a gallows built 75 feet high and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it then go with the king to dinner and be happy I mean that's what kind of this is what kind of family we're dealing with have him hung and then go be happy And this is the kind of man Haman is this suggestion delighted Haman and he had the gallows built so he's having a gallows built so he's happy Happy, happy. So Esther has taken her next step, and since Esther has taken her next step, the Jews are still in danger, and her cousin is about to get killed. Chapter 6. Or if I was Paul Harvey, I would say page 2. Chapter 6, verse 1. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought and read to him. So what we have is story time with the king. That's what we have. You know, well, king, what story would you like for us to read to you? Read this story about me. You know, he sounds like he's four years old. Read this story about me. There's a story that they read to the king that we've skipped over. It happened in in chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. It talks about Mordecai is actually sitting at the king's gate one day. He hears two eunuchs, he overhears them talking about how much they dislike King Xerxes and how they would like to remove him from the planet. So they, they've got this plot going on. They're going to kill King Xerxes. And Mordecai warns the, the people in the palace, gets a message to them, and says, Hey, there are some people that are out to kill the king, and you need to, you need to do something, or we're going to have a crisis on our hands. Well, the plot gets uncovered. These two guys are executed, the king is spared. But nothing was ever really done to thank Mordecai. And so the king is here, and and he he says, read me a story, and they just happened to pick the story about Mordecai unveiling this plot to have the king assassinated. And and they read it about Mordecai, and and so in Esther chapter 6, verse 3, we read, the king's going to ask a question. He says, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? In other words, did we do anything for this guy? Have you ever realized that somebody's done something for you and you forgot to thank them? Or they did something and you, a couple of days go by and you go, oh, I forgot to send a thank you note for that. That's kind of where he is. They, they respond. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now, whoever was in the court, the king, the king had a hard time making decisions on his own. So whoever's in the court, he used to make decisions with him. They, they kind of were an advisor. So whoever's in the court is going to be an advisor to the king. This is where the story gets really fun. Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. So Haman just happens to walk into the court about the time the king is asking who's in the court. And he wants advice from the person in the court on what he should do for Mordecai. Haman is in the court on his way to talk to the king about having Mordecai killed. Dun-dun-dun! Right? That's the point in the story where we hear that. Dun-dun-dun. So, verse 5. His attendants answered, I'm telling you, you've got to read your Bible." You just got to read your Bible. Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. But when Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? And Haman is so arrogant. Now, Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he's going to, you know, he starts dreaming, what do I want? You know, what do I want? I mean, if they were going to honor you, how would you want them to honor you? And so Haman goes into this thing. I mean, Haman's thinking, I am the man. So, verse 7. So he answered the king. For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Haman is thinking, this is going to be so cool for me. How awesome. Verse 10. Go at once, the king, commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horses and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Dun, dun, dun who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. Uh, it's a, I can just tell you, it's at this point in the story that Haman needs new underwear. Okay? <laughs> right, right here. This is a part of the story where something's got to happen. So he's there to ask the king if he can kill Mordecai, the Jew, and the king says, actually, you're going to be the one that leads him through the streets and talks about this is what's done for the one who the king wants to honor. Uh, only God right? Only God. And it all began with Esther taking a step. Chapter 7, verse 1, page 3. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and as they were drinking wine, more wine, on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. I'm in a great mood. I'm ready to do something for you then queen esther answered if i have found favor with you o king and if it pleases your majesty grant me my life this my petition and spare my people this is my request for i and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation if we had merely been sold as male and female slaves i would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king she's showing tremendous respect verse five king xerxes asked queen esther who is he Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, The adversary and enemy is is this vile Haman. And there he is, and he's toast. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage and left his wine. This is how upset King Xerxes is, okay? (laughs) He just left the wine. He just put his goblet down. He's ticked off, not happy, not happy at all. He left his wine, he went out into the palace garden, but Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. The tables have turned. Verse 8, just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while while she is with me in the house? And this is probably the point where Haman jumps up and straightens himself out and says, it's not what you think, right? As soon as word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the, the king, said, a gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king. The king said, hang him on it. The favor falls on the person who when God says take the next step, They take the next step. What's your next step? We're all busy. We're all doing life. We're all just working, working, working. What is your next step? Busyness does not equal godliness. And sometimes the busyness that we're about for God gets in the way of the real thing God wants us to do. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe you need to confess sin this morning. Maybe there's sin that you just need to confess it. Somebody in here may need to forgive somebody. Somebody in here may need to finally give their finances over to God and say, God, I've held this area from you long enough. It's yours. I just need to take the next step and be more faithful. Maybe somebody in the room gave their life to Christ a long time ago, but they never followed through, and they were never baptized. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you need to just say, you know what? I'm going to, in obedience, I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to be baptized. Maybe you're in the room this morning, and you've never given your life to Christ. And you've run, and you've run, and you've run. And you've heard God call your name, and you know it's the right thing to do, but you're afraid, and you think, man, it's going to be uncomfortable. What's really uncomfortable is going through life not having the joy, not having the assurance, not having the the freedom that I have, knowing that I am forgiven, knowing that um, whatever comes my way, I have a God who loves me and cares about me and is going to walk with me through it no matter what it is, that I can live my life with joy and confidence and forgiveness who wouldn't want that that you could walk through life and know that you have someone who loves you so much they're willing to sacrifice everything and go to a cross for you I know there are people in this room who have heard God say their name and say listen I want you to give your heart to me I want you to die to yourself and give yourself to me Take the next step. We're going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing in a minute. If you've never done that, today could be a beautiful day for you. I encourage you. Take the next step. Let's pray together. Father, what a great story. It's fun. We're having fun looking at the book of Esther and this story, and um, your name doesn't even really appear in it, but you're all over it. Father, it's amazing how something so old as a book called Esther from centuries ago speaks to us timelessly today. The truths are still the same. You call us to uncomfortable places sometimes. The step you call us to next sometimes is a very difficult step. It doesn't, it's, when we don't know all the outcomes, it scares us. We confess that to you. But I know Father just simply based on the, the conversations I've had this morning there are people in the room who have to take the next step and I just pray that you'd help us to do it we give you thanks for loving us for forgiving us for giving us the opportunity to live our lives in freedom there is no sin that we could commit that is bigger than your mercy and your grace anything that we've ever done no matter how bad we've been You love us. Your grace and your mercy, it covers us. Father, it is in that promise we rest. And we say thank you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, Father.